0: hauling just look at the load i'm hauling hard work i hit it harder ain't nothing new for a backwoods farmer sun up to sundown, backing up traffic all the way to town camo hat and a farmer's town Welcome to Fast Line Fast Track, presented by
1: Fastline Media Group, your innovative consumer resource and marketing partner of choice for the evolving agricultural community. Now, here's your host, Brent Adams. Welcome to another episode of Fast Line Fast Track. It's great to have you with us. On this episode, we discuss changes in congressional leadership that will have an impact on the agriculture industry. Also, John Deere has enlisted the help of some big names in country music to hold a benefit concert for nonprofit farm rescue. In our content profile partner series, we talk with the hot rod farmer, Ray Bohax, and we bring you the music of Ashley Amber. You won't want to miss a moment of this one. Let's go. Well, first up on the program, with the election this week, there are a number of changes that likely will have an impact on the agriculture industry. With three of the top four agriculture leadership posts changing in Congress, there are big shoes to fill for farmers and ranchers. Senate Agriculture Committee Chairman Pat Roberts and Minority Leader on the House Agriculture Committee Mike Conway are both retiring. And House Agriculture Chairman Colin Peterson lost his re-election bid Tuesday. During a Facebook Live event hosted by Agripulse on Wednesday, National Farmers Union President Rob LaRue said the loss of Peterson will be felt in many ways.
2: But I think also much of the work that he has done to build in not only support from his members down the dais, if you will, Making sure that all the members of the Ag Committee are up to speed on the issues at times, whether they want to or not. That education and that kind of method of leadership where you are involving even your junior members is going to serve the committee and I think ultimately agriculture for a long time here.
1: Randy Russell of the Russell Group says the Senate and House Agriculture Committees have lost decades of experience.
2: If you look at Colin Peterson, he has been in Congress for 30 years. And as two-time chairman of the House Ag Committee, Pat Roberts, who is retiring, has been in Congress, either the House or Senate, for 40 years. And uh, been chair of both committees. Mike Conaway, retiring, has been in Congress 15 years. If you take those three members, that's 85 years worth of experience, wisdom, knowledge, leadership that is no longer there. Now, obviously, others will step up and I'm sure do a very good job. But it's hard to fill those shoes, that void of three people that have been such strong advocates for production, agriculture, and the food industry. So I I think it's going to be a bit of an adjustment.
1: Both the House and Senate Agriculture Committees will have several new members beyond leadership come January. And reaction continues to come in after Peterson was defeated in the Minnesota District 7 congressional race by Republican Michelle Fishbach on Tuesday night. Peterson has been in office since 1991. Minnesota Farm Bureau Director of Public Policy Amber Hansen Glaser says Chairman Peterson has been a champion for agriculture for many years.
3: Chairman Peterson has served Minnesota agriculture and agriculture across the country so well and has made such a big impact um, for farmers and ranchers, and he will be missed. His leadership and experience will definitely be missed in the Ag Committee. Uh, We're looking forward to working with uh, Congresswoman-elect Fishbach, though, um, and getting to work with her, and she has said that she's going to ask to be on the Ag Committee, so that will be that will be good from that perspective. Yeah, but definitely a big loss in CD7 with um, the chairman uh, not being reelected this year.
1: And Glaser says Minnesota is fortunate to have Peterson serving in the many leadership roles that he's held over the past three decades.
3: We really were. I mean, it's not often that you get a, com- a committee chairmanship from your state, um, and especially in the in the agriculture committee as well. And he really was middle of the road. He, he had the experience and he really understood the issues, and and was not shy about sharing those opinions or making sure that the work got done. So that that will, that experience will be missed. Um, it's going to be a big change in the AG committee um, with with the chairman uh, not being reelected, and uh, Representative Conaway and Senator Roberts both retired. So. Senator Stabenow is the only one of the big four in the Ag Committee Leadership that's returning. So things are going to look really different in the Ag Committee um, at the the U.S. Capitol.
1: Minnesota Corn Growers President Tim Weibel says Peterson always took time to hear the concerns of agriculture. Tim says they congratulate the new leader of District 7 and look forward to working with her.
0: I can can say that uh, Colin Peterson represented Minnesota agriculture so well. Uh, I've spent many hours in his office and Colin always gave us a lot of time, um, as to, um, um, discussing all the issues. And if he had questions on any issues, he'd reach out to people, whether it be a corn grower or a beet producer or whoever, and, and took the time to find out in depth the effect of, uh, that legislation could potentially have on, on the farmer. And again, I'd like to congratulate Michelle Fishbach. You know, she, she's coming into this, uh, um, the district is very much ag, and uh, uh, Colin Peterson started out as a freshman, and Michelle Fishbach is starting out as a freshman as well. You know, when they walk down that, that hall, they're going to have to represent uh, everybody uh, from that district. And, and, again, congratulations to Michelle, and and, uh, and I certainly want to thank Colin Peterson for all his efforts throughout the years. I know um, uh, we always think people can't be replaced, and, and, and you know, People can always be replaced. That's, that's part of life. And uh, uh, I certainly wish everybody that's going to be in office the best of luck and those who ran and lost the best of luck as well.
1: Fishbank was first elected to the Minnesota Senate in 1996 and briefly served as lieutenant governor in 2018. And we want to thank Joe Gill with KASM Radio in Albany, Minnesota and the NAFB News Service for that audio. Well, in other news, the U.S. Department of Labor this week announced a change in how farm labor rate increases are determined. Allison Crittenden, American Farm Bureau Federation's Congressional Relations Director, says the final rule no longer uses the USDA's Farm Labor Survey for workers who fall under core farm occupations.
4: So we're no longer using the survey-based wage methodology that have all those drastic swings from year to year of a 23% increase in one year or a 10% increase in a different region. Instead, we're moving to a two-year freeze and then using the employment cost index, which isn't as volatile, to dictate the increases starting in 2023.
1: Crittenden says farmers need the predictability provided by the
4: final rule. That provides stability and some level of predictability, especially for the next two years, knowing that wages won't increase until 2023 for those that qualify for the core farm occupations. Predictability and stability are very needed right now during the pandemic and all of the market uncertainty that we're still facing.
1: Crittenden says the final rule puts in place a fair process that doesn't undermine the efforts to pay farm workers fair wages.
4: But it allows farmers to plan for the year ahead without having a drastic increase thrust on them at the beginning of the year. The ECI is a more stable index with increases ranging approximately 2.24% each year on average over the last decade. So it's something that allows farmers to predict and plan and figure out their labor needs while still paying a fair wage to their employees.
1: That's American Farm Bureau Federation Congressional Relations Director, Allison Crittenden. Chandler Equipment. For 51 years, Chandler Equipment has been manufacturing excellence. The finest quality in pull type and truck mount fertilizer line spreaders and litter spreaders, fertilizer tenders, seed tenders, and litter conveyors. They also sell a full line of Raven Industries Precision Ag products. To find out more about the full Chandler product line or to find a Chandler Equipment dealer near you, visit ChandlerEquipment.net or give them a call at
0: 800-243-3319.
1: Well, next up on Fast Line Fast Track, we welcome in Nate Clark with John Deere and Bill Gross, the founder of Farm Rescue, to talk about the great work being done by that organization, which has helped more than 700 farm families over the past 15 years. John Deere has become a big supporter of Farm Rescue and has enlisted some big names in country music to hold a special benefit concert for the organization scheduled for December the 9th. And gentlemen, welcome into Fast Line Fast Track. Thanks, Brent. Thank you, Brent. So i tell you, this is an exciting partnership and these are exciting times for John Deere and for Farm Rescue because this organization has been doing some amazing work for farmers and ranchers who've experienced a major illness, injury, or natural disaster that some way jeopardize their operation. As we saw in this opening video, Farm Rescue provides the necessary equipment and manpower uh, to plant hay or harvest a crop and also to provide some livestock feeding for ranchers. And Bill, if you would today just start us out by talking about the beginning of the organization in 2005 and uh, give us a bit of background about how it was founded.
5: Well, Brent, I come from a family farm in North Dakota. We had about 5,000 head of cattle and and, uh, 10,000 acres of land, so it was a sizable farm, but you know, I saw over the years uh, that there is fewer and fewer children staying on the farms, and uh, and it was uh, harder for neighbors to help one another. You know, there there just wasn't the manpower, and uh, the economics of farming has changed. And and you know, I I just felt that there should be a someone to help these people, these hardworking farm families. You know, in the big cities, there's. Uh, a lot of nonprofits to help uh, all kinds of things you know cat rescues or dog rescues and such and i thought uh you know who's there to help these hard working farm families and uh and so i i thought that uh, there should be a formal avenue for that and uh, you know how i'm going to step back just a little bit how that really came about as i went on some mission trips overseas uh, you know over the years in romania and croatia and help people and And that was always good. But again, my my mind kept coming back to those farm families in the rural areas. And then I uh, myself as an airline pilot, a 747 captain already for 27 years, uh, flying across the ocean and high above the heartlands of the U.S. at 40,000 feet. uh, My co-pilots would tell me, what are you going to do when you retire? And I would say, well, I'm going to get this big John Deere tractor and planter and go out and be this good Samaritan. It was really, a—I just had a heart's desire to be a good Samaritan. That's that's where it all started. And some of the people thought it was kind of a wild idea. And I said, is it really, you know, people do things in their retirement. And then I had a friend of mine say, Bill, why wait till retirement? You know, do it now. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. So I uh, started thinking about that and I thought, yeah, I don't have a good reason not to, to do it now. So, uh, you know, I got some volunteers together put in some of my own money initially, established a nonprofit. And from there, it just snowballed. We had uh, the first year, we helped uh, 10 farm families with five volunteers and it was just in North Dakota. And now 15 years later, we have a thousand volunteers that come from all over the nation, virtually every state in the nation. And we've helped over 700 farm families. So we really have some good momentum and like you said, it's to help the farm families that have a major injury, illness or natural disaster. It's, it's not a handout or a bailout or a government program. We don't give them any money. What we do is we come in and get the work done when they need it. It's kind of like a good old barnstorming if you want to call it. These neighbors come from all over. We've created an avenue of goodness, Brent, is what we've created. They come from all over the nation that either maybe they grew up on a farm or their grandparents did or maybe they couldn't stay on the farm like myself my folks uh, had financial troubles through the 1980s like a lot of farm families and nowadays we're back to a similar situation there's uh, going on and so, so it's a good thing that's happening all these people stepping forward and businesses like John Deere and other ones that can participate in helping these farm families during their times of crisis.
1: Well, I think that 700 farm families in a 15 year uh, span is such an important figure. It just shows the impact that you've had. But I think that one stat that your organization has shared that that was really, really impressive to me, the fact that 97% of the farm families uh, that were helped by the organization have maintained operations for at least three years following the uh, support of Farm Rescue. So, as you said, it, it's not a handout, but rather a hand up. And uh, that's an important point to make.
5: That's correct. That's that's uh, what we take pride in ourselves. We give a hand up, a helping hand during their darkest hour. We've helped, uh, you know, everything you can imagine. Farming is a very dangerous occupation. And uh, maybe people have had severed arms or limbs, or every type of cancer you can think of. You know, stomach cancer, brain cancer, lung cancer, uh, prostate—everything you can think of. Maybe they're getting chemotherapy treatments. Uh, maybe they were in a, a automobile accident, or maybe even their immediate family is injured or ill. We've helped plenty where the wife has uh, had cancer or or such, or injured. Uh, we helped one recently. Uh, uh, a family with uh, very small children that had a traumatic brain injury. And, um, or maybe it's the children themselves. We've helped where children have had to be at the Mayo Clinic and uh, an operation as young as two or three years old. And the family just wanted to be there with their small children, of course. And so we've come in and harvested their crop for them or planted.
1: Well, and one way to put all this in perspective, one farm can feed up to 166 people, only 1% of the U.S. population farms. And right now we're in the midst of harvest. And uh, you think about how tight that window is. We're talking about 20 to 30 days and, uh, you know, given, you know, weather conditions or what have you. But if you have any hiccup during that time or if you're in any way incapacitated,
5: Or facing any kind of a hardship during that window, it it could be disastrous. That's right. I mean, it's their livelihood. I mean, uh, a lot of people across America need to realize that farmers—they don't have uh, sick leave. They don't have disability. You know, the the farm must go on, as we say. You know, there there's no stopping it. And uh, and I'll you know honestly say we've we've uh, just been very pleased with. John Deere is a partner with farm rescue from the very beginning, from day one and and their equipment has served us well. And, uh, we've, we've covered hundreds of thousands of acres with, with, you know, very little downtime. And, and that's what, how we've been able to help 700 farm families is we've been very efficient and productive and getting the work done for these farm families when they can't get it done themselves.
1: So, Nate, how did Farm Rescue land on John Deere's radar and how has hit had an impact on the company and its employees?
2: Well, you know, thanks for the question, Brendan Thanks again for inviting Bill and me onto your show. The role that you play for the ag community is an important one. And we're really grateful to have um, this platform and your audience. So I've gotten to know Bill personally since 2018, but I, I think we've known about Bill since his very beginning, certainly since 2009 when he was named as one of CNN uh, uh, heroes. Um, The work that Bill and his volunteers and his staff does, it's exceptional. At John Deere, we're committed to finding opportunities for farm and ranch families to sustain and grow their livelihoods. Um, One of the things that we've learned over nearly 200 years of business is what farmers and ranchers do. That matters to us. And when they have a chance to succeed, Brent, they can make the entire world around them better. Certainly the challenges posed by COVID and the weather events over the you know, last several months, it's wildfires and hurricanes and the derecho that hit my, home, my hometown. those have raised the public's awareness about the challenges that farm and ranch families face. And we at John Deere believe we fundamentally exist to help those families overcome those challenges. The way that we're best known to do that is by delivering the innovations, the machines, the technologies, the services that farm and ranch families can use to become more productive, efficient, and profitable. But another way that we do it is by investing in truly innovative nonprofit organizations that can provide services and resources that we cannot. And one of those is farm rescue. I'm, I'm really uh, taken by what you mentioned, Brent, about that small window of time that a farm family has to harvest their crop. You know, Almost 50 years ago, it was Dr. Norman Borlaug, the father of the Green Revolution. Um, he and his Nobel Prize um, acceptance lecture said well he has lots of famous quotes there but he said that there are no miracles in agricultural production and that's true because farm and ranch families face weather and markets and just everything that you could imagine that can potentially get in their way to be successful but farm and ranch families are as near as you come to miracle workers to bring in a crop year in and year out for generations but what happens if that family suffers an injury illness or natural disaster. Well, Farm Rescue happens. They bring in the people, the machines, and the sense of community that is critical to allow a farm family or a ranch family to overcome that challenge and feel supported. That's why we're proud to support Farm Rescue and why I've been just uh, just blessed to have a relationship with Bill Gross. And I know that all of my John Deere colleagues who have been volunteers or other supporters feel the same way. So Bill, how
1: do you put into words what John Deere's support has meant to Farm Rescue?
5: Well, it's, it's, it's simple, Brent, that uh, it would not have been possible without John Deere's support. I mean, we, if, if we, they sponsor equipment and uh, help us with equipment, not just from a corporate level, from the local dealerships and uh, across several states, seven states now. And if it was not for John Deere, you know, in the beginning and now. Uh, we would not be able to help all these farm families. We have many other good sponsors, and we're very thankful for all our sponsors. But uh, the equipment nowadays, the, the amount of equipment we have and that John Deere supports us with, not just in uh, uh, using it, but the, the maintenance of it, uh, all of the above, it, it wouldn't have been possible to help these 700 farm families. And, and nowadays, you know, we're also seeing that um, not only is there the economic challenges, there's the the emotional challenges nowadays of these farm families, you know, it, it can be a depressing thing of of them uh, trying to make ends meet and they sometimes feel like they're alone out there with um, with they're not the type of people to typically ask for help. And so, um, you know, we're seeing more of that also, but uh, uh, it's something that is, we're on top of, and it's it's concerning.
1: We bring up a good point there, and you were telling me off air, I- even though your folks are by no means counselors, uh, you, you do have partnerships w- with chaplains and, and with uh, uh, therapists and other people, so if uh, you, you come across somebody who appears to be struggling, you can uh, get them down that right road to getting help and uh, maybe stave off uh, some bigger
5: problems there that's right that's right you know we've seen more and more of that and uh and uh, we've helped several cases of covid and also with uh mental depression this year but but yeah back to your original question though is is john deere not only have they helped us with equipment their volunteers have stepped forward we have uh, corporate volunteers we have volunteers from the local dealerships john deere has stepped forward in a big big way over the years and uh and that's how we've been able to help all these farm families. It means the world to us, actually. And, and Nate has been instrumental in, uh, in moving our relationship with John Deere forward.
1: So all the great work being done here by Farm Rescue takes financial support. Uh, and, and thus, the event that you're here to announce today, a benefit concert, The Farm Must Go On, is being planned for Wednesday, December 9th at 8 o'clock Eastern time p.m. Uh, it's going to feature performances by Dustin Lynch, and also maddie and tay mickey guyton tyler farr and travis denning all big names in their own right in country music but they're going to be performing live from the brooklyn bowl in nashville tennessee but for viewers they can watch it live for free and there's been a website set up for that and that is a spot for taking donations for farm rescue and to watch the show that can be found at www.thefarmmustgoon.com so guys tell me about this event and how it all came
2: together Well, you know, this is uh, a pretty special opportunity for us. I think it's the first type of virtual country music festival we've ever hosted. And for it, we've got three goals. First, and just like you started the show, Brent, we want to shine a light, a spotlight on what farmers and ranchers mean to us and so we're really humbled to have the opportunity to share the stories of three families supported by bill gross and his team it's jess and levi bame willard and anthony rosicka and paul and renee Ivesdall. Uh, we want everyone to have an opportunity to see what farmers and ranchers do and what farm rescue has meant uh, to um, now over 700 of them Our second goal, of course, is to um, have a stage with these wonderful world-class country music artists and to find an opportunity to join together with uh, an evening of music. Uh, The third goal sort of marries the first two. We hope that once people have an opportunity to hear these great stories and to enjoy some music, that they're inspired to uh, join Bill and John Deere and so many others in becoming farm rescuers. I think that's the term you use, Bill. They'll have an opportunity to donate. Uh, They'll find a way to volunteer. And if there are farm and ranch families who are interested in finding ways to get some support of the type that Bill uh, and his team gives, Uh, we want to know how we can help them. Right now, as Bill mentioned, uh, they've grown since 2005 from North Dakota now to seven Midwestern states. It's our dream with Bill to see his vision grow to as many states as possible. And uh, that's ultimately our goal.
5: Yes, I, I, you know, agree with uh, Nate. Everything he said, I'll add a bit to it and touch on what he said. The Yes, you know, like I said earlier, we like to think of Farm Rescue as an avenue of goodness, and uh, and people. We, our goal here with this concert, uh, additional goals, is to raise awareness of our mission of Farm Rescue, have more people join in through that avenue of goodness. You know, they can be a farm rescuer. We we call it be a farm rescuer. Just just add an R to Farm Rescue, and. Uh, and um, there's a lot of people that can help in a variety of ways, either through volunteerism, through donations, uh, uh, either as an individual or as a corporate, as a company. If this uh, falls in line with their mission, we have several uh, companies that sponsor and would welcome more to help us in our cause and to excite young people and of all ages. You know, it's the, uh, the young people here that uh, there's the future farmers, of course, there's uh, we want to help the family farm go on. You know that's good not only for uh, that farm family and and but it's good for the rural towns. It's good for rural America and it's good for the the food and agribusiness in the United States. And and uh, you know I always say there's a tangible side of what farm families receive. You know the the help when they need it, but there's the intangible side of of all those other things that ripple down that go along with helping the rural communities and those businesses and maybe their children can go to higher education now you know who knows there's there's all kinds of results with this
1: and we should mention that this is the the first of two live streams that is going to be held here leading up to the concert the second one's going to take place near the end of november so uh, please be sure to stay tuned for a date and time on that one at that time we'll bring in some of those folks who have been helped by Farm Rescue to tell their story. And we may have another surprise or two up our sleeves. So we sure hope you'll come back for that. Also, if you're a farmer or rancher in need of assistance, please go check out the Farm Rescue website at farmrescue.org. And of course, for all things John Deere, visit Deere.com. And guys, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here today on Fastline Fast Track Live. And we certainly wish you the best of luck with the event. Thanks, Brent. Well, thank you very much, Brent. Well, next up on Fast Line Fast Track, for a few weeks now, you've been hearing the great new feature "Bushels and Cents" with the hot rod farmer Ray Bohax. Today, we welcome in Ray as we continue our content sharing partner profiles. Ray, welcome into Fast Line Fast Track.
6: Hey, thanks so much for having me on your show, and uh, I really enjoy being part of it and listening to it. I, just great, great content you have.
1: And how you been?
6: I've been very well, thank God, and. Uh, just over here in New Jersey, finished we finished up everything on the farm and just getting back to being writer, farm writer, Ray, and podcaster, Ray.
1: Well, how, how did uh, harvest end up for you?
6: Well, we raised sweet corn. We raised fresh market sweet corn, so we can't really use the same metric that a grain farmer would Uh, And we do uh, between eight and ten different plantings. And when you do that, well, this year we did eight plantings. So the first planting and the last planting is 40 days apart. And you would tell that to a row crop guy and he would go nuts. (laughs) But so each one sees a different weather condition. So all in all, thank God, uh, the last planting was a flop because it was way too dry but other than that, we, we we had a blessed year. It was a good quality, and the sales, thank God, were excellent. So, uh, sometimes you have you have a bountiful harvest and poor sales, and sometimes you have good sales and not a bountiful harvest. This year, kind of rode that wave like a surfer, and had, we had good product and good quantity and uh, good sales. Thank God.
1: Well, with 2020, you'll take what you can get, right?
6: Yeah, I think maybe because people... I, I don't know what it is. I'll just write it. You, you, you hit it on the head. You take what you can get. Don't ask questions. <laughs> yeah.
1: So before we get into talking about the great work you're doing with Farm Machinery Digest and the podcast and everything, take us back a bit and give us a brief background of yourself.
6: Well, I, I, we farm in New Jersey. And we're about 65 miles from New York City. And I was always uh, a car guy and a farm guy. And I dreamt about being an engineer... And for in detroit for one of the big three car manufacturers and i did study mechanical engineering never ended up getting to detroit because my uh, father had a bad car accident on i-80 interstate 80 is right near our farm and i had to stay home to uh, to run the farm but what that did is it gave me the opportunity I used to build race engines. That's why I'm a hot rod farmer. I used to. Uh, I was a technical. I've been a technical writer in the automobile industry. I have about 3,500 published articles. I used to work for National Hot Rod Association. So all of that, my love for engines and love for cars, was very easy to transfer over to being a being on the farm and working with mechanical things. And I, I humbly say, gave me more depth into mechanical things because of my engineering and and drag racing background so you look at things differently and um as a young man we would go to neighbors farms what have you and i would see their tractors and see their piece of equipment and i say, geez you know that's why aren't they fixing that and why aren't they why that thing runs like a bigger of balls. i know how to get that running better from so as a little kid well i should say as a young man a teenager i used to say you know you know, Mr. Jones, I can help you with that. Why is that thing isn't running, running correctly? And, uh, and so I kind of saw the, uh, the need that there was a missing link within the agricultural community. I saw it as a young boy uh, as far as respecting and, and recognizing that they need the machinery to be efficient and reliable. So as time went on, I uh, actually pursued my career more in the automobile industry. And I worked for BMW as a contract engineer for two years, doing component of, um, calibration evaluations of components on on the, the three series and the X5 uh, sport utility was my main contract. And I uh, and it's, I was writing for car magazines. And then what had happened was that my true love was agriculture. And when the economy crashed in the automotive publishing industry. I needed to go and uh, look for something else, another venue, and I said to myself, the agricultural magazines, which I got them all and read them, I said, did an excellent job on agronomy, on transfer of the farm, on marketing, but they were very weak on actually doing anything machinery related other than rewriting a press release. So that is how I started to get into that, and I worked for Successful Farming for a number of years, they had me on the TV show as the SF Engine Man. You know, when you're in this, no matter who you deal with, you have a different title. So in Hemings, I was Ask gray in Hot Rod Magazine, I was something else, in Successful Farming, I was the Engine Man, <laughs> and now I'm doing my own thing. It's the Hot. I am the Hot Rod Farmer and the Farm Machinery Digest. But um, what I really, what I really, what really tugged at my heartstrings was that, and I'll repeat to a different level what i just said a minute or so ago is that success on the farm or ranch to my way of thinking and if the audience thinks about it, is a three-legged stool it's agronomy or animal husbandry depending upon what you're doing it's marketing of either your crop or your livestock or what have you and the third leg of that stool is machinery and you could have the most successful yield or the most successful um a animal husbandry program you would have the highest crop prices or milk prices if you're a dairyman and if you don't have efficiencies or, or have avoidable if you experience avoidable repairs with your equipment that because you didn't have didn't pay enough attention to it didn't have the knowledge then you're losing money on the farm and i really think that that's what well, that's where we need to look at. We need to look at the three-legged stool, and so many people only look at two legs of the stool, and they think, well, the motor blew up, or this happened, or then they wrote it off to bad luck. And nine chances out of ten, it's not bad luck. It's poor management of the machinery.
1: Yeah, and that has been a great addition to the show here. And and I sit there here, and uh, I'll listen to those things uh, four or five times as I, as I put them into the show each week. And uh, j- just to uh, put everything into common sense terms uh, and a lot of the stuff is things that people know it's just that they don't heed it.
6: You're hundred percent correct and you know they, they may they may recognize it to a certain level. I'm not trying to make people an engineer but the, the thing, and that's why with the bushels and cents segment that that, that runs, on your on your show, uh, is I try to relate everything to bushels of crop, and I use corn at three dollars and fifty cents a bushel because, because that's a metric that moves all over the place. But I found that people and people in agriculture will say, you know, if you say to them, well, that costs you three hundred fifty dollars, and if it's an operation of some magnitude, that kind of gets lost in the balance sheet. But if you tell them that's that's a hundred bushels of corn, you just dumped out, and the guy goes nuts, and all of a sudden now. You know, I was a student of I student meaning I studied Zig Ziglar, and mm-hmm. the thing basically is is that that he's in salesmanship, and I'm not trying to sell anybody anything. I tell people when they come to listen to my show, or they listen to my Bushels and Cents, I'm never going to make you a nickel. There's nothing I'm ever going to tell you is going to make you a nickel. You need to talk to an agronomy guy to make you a nickel or a marketing guy, but. I have learned that it's not what you make, it's what you keep that counts. And you go to, you go to your agronomist, go to your marketing guy to make the nickel, and I want you to keep that nickel and not waste it on your machinery or have an avoidable failure. And uh, so many times people don't recognize that how that extrapolates out. I look at farm equipment like emergency rescue equipment. It has to roll when it has to roll. I mean, you know yourself, you missed the optimum planting date for instance, a corn crop that industry, well, a university standards say it's a half a percent a day of yield. And if you want to argue that or not argue that, that's fine. But, you know, how many times on the farm something happens that that was avoidable, you can't plant using that as an example, and then it rains for the next five or seven days. Yeah. Now we're really in trouble. So whether you want to, So I, re- I really feel that... I feel that... That my life has prepared me to to come to the agricultural community and and through and this I, I want to say this humbly, but through my background to be able to to give them an education on my podcast or on my website that's free and take them because I want them to be profitable and I just see so often, even you know, I've gone to these high yield guys farms and and. You know, I mean, they, they make love to the crop in the field, but they lose the air, so they get a zillion bushels an acre. But I see what's happening in their farm shop or, or, mm. or with their vehicles and their equipment, and it's going out the door, buddy. And there's no reason for <laughs>
1: yeah. it. I, I tell you, a, a photo that I saw on social media a couple of days ago that that drove that point home was uh, Eric Reed, our buddy that's on the Corn Warriors TV show, uh, was showing four separate ears of corn that were planted four days of, apart and the the amount of yield loss among those four days and the sizes of those ears was was very stark and people might not think in those terms but i tell you when you see it side by side by side by side uh, it's hard not to think in those terms so you know what you put forth there you know some of these that we've had on there losing a day or two to not having parts because you neglected maintenance that that becomes real money
6: so it becomes real money and it also the idea of even if it's not during planting season, I have, I've had farmers contact me and uh, they were not familiar with doing a, a voltage drop test. got technical on the ground circuit, and the gentleman was harvesting wheat. All right, I mean it wasn't he wasn't behind the gun, right? But he was harvesting wheat, and uh, uh, combine went into limp, limp home mode, limp, and uh, you know had no power. And ended up, to make a long story short, he called the dealer and, and no knock on the dealer whatsoever. But uh, the thing is that they, he had $4,000 into this combine and it still wasn't fixed. <laughs> and then by accident, they found a, a high impedance or loose ground circuit. <laughs> and the thing is that so basically taking a ratchet wrench with a 13 millimeter socket fixed it. Yeah. Now, my contention is that. If you were to understand an electrical circuit and how to diagnose it, which I go through on my podcast or on my website, I'm not trying to make somebody an engineer, but as you said, beginning on recognizing what what needs to be done or what should be done. I mean, how I don't care what what crop you're raising, four thousand dollars out the window that's going to hurt the bottom line.
7: Yeah.
1: So where all does your content appear today?
6: Well, my content my content appears. Uh, Basically on my website, which is FarmMachineryDigest.com. so that is all my original content there. There is there's some content that I've done. For, I've worked for eight years with successful farming and some other magazines and in the automotive world. i all I i all over the map. I have thirty five hundred published magazine stories and and three books that I wrote and they're not bestsellers because they're technical books. But like but 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 as far as you know. <laughs> The thing, the thing is that if someone were to go to the website, com, and there's all different categories. I do what's called a learning series, a getting-to-know series, a lecture hall series. There's tests up there. I call it a toolbox test, which gives the person a, a real-life scenario. It's not just like, okay, what does an EGR valve do? I paint the picture that the farmer could, so you're going to town, this is what happens, or you're in the field, this is what happens, and I paint this scenario, and it's a multiple-choice test. Everything I'm doing is, 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 is educational, but my content is 100% there right now.
1: Mm-hmm. And what about podcasts? Because you've got a few different podcasts. This one that, uh, uh, the Bushels and Scents, is not the only podcast that you're doing.
6: No, no my flagship is, is, is called Idle Chatter, and the reason why I call it—and it, the reason why I call it idle chatter—is because I like to talk, and my wife says I like to chatter. And <laughs> I figured, hey, you know, it's—it's, uh, it's, but it's not idle. But it's idle chatter, and that is truly—it's an educational podcast, and I try to deliver it in a entertaining way. And it's about—it's about a difference, for instance, understanding viscosity of oils, how to check a ground circuit. Um, is it, There's about 120 or 150 shows up on my website right now. And so the Idle Chatter is about 65 to 70 minutes long. It's educational. I do have one of the toolbox test questions in it, and I also have – I take letters from listeners and readers to the website, and I read the letter and I answer their question on the show but I also email them back. So everybody who writes me a letter gets a response from me, and lots of times I'll even talk to them. I'll talk, I have no problem talking to people on the telephone. It's more efficient to have a dialogue than a monologue. So that is the Idle Chatter podcast, and I have the Bushels and Sense which airs on, on your podcast, which is I'm very proud that it's there. And that basically takes something. It's like a 70-second show. It takes something in that, that's avoidable on machinery equipment on the farm could be a pickup truck and and explains how by you neglecting that or not being aware of it it's costing you so much to repair and i make that in i reference it in bushels of corn at three dollars and fifty cents i have another one that's called the hot rod farmer minute that just has a tech tip on it and i just started a fourth show which is called on the road with ray Hacks the hot rod farmer and that's a people show so I, I interview. Why do I even say interview? I have a conversation with people that are passionate about, I say, either agriculture or firing orders. Because I have one leg in one foot in agriculture and my other foot in hot rods. So they have to be passionate. You don't have to be famous. You have to be passionate. And I just uh, and I just started that show. There's three or four episodes up
1: right now and i love it and it's uh, like i said uh, bushels and scents has been a great addition to our show and, and we couldn't be any more thankful to, to have you on board with us and make sure uh, if you're listening here that you go check out ray farm machinery as he says we're steel and soil meat and ray thank you so much for taking the time to join us here to, to break it all down and we look forward to getting some more of your great content
6: well, thank you so much, and it's an honor to be on your show and to speak with you and your audience, and if I could ever help them in any way, they could email me at hotrodfarmer at com. and thank you so much, and uh, it's, it's great being able to talk to you today.
1: Well, since we're talking about Ray, let's get in another installment of Bushels and Cents with the hot rod farmer, Ray Bo Hacks. Don't forget, you can check out all his great multimedia content at farmmachinerydigest.com.
8: Welcome to Bushels and Cents, a weekly podcast from the Farm Machinery Digest. I am your host, Ray Bohacks, the hot rod farmer. And never forget, it is not what you make, but what you keep that counts. You understand the importance of having an AC recovery and charging station, along with a halogen refrigerant leak detector. In like fashion, your shop needs a smoke leak tester for engines and sprayers, among other things. The problem is if you were to buy all three, you would have an investment of around $15,000 for tools that you would only use a few times a year, if even that. Instead of going without, find three like-minded friends and make a co-op purchase. Agree on the rules for storage and care of the tools. This way you have the equipment you need and each of you spent only $3,750, saving $11,250 or the equivalent value of 3,215 bushels of corn. Agriculture runs on machinery, profits on reliability. Visit farmmachinerydigest.com where steel and soil meet. Well, heading on over to the musical side of the house, it's an honor
1: to have with us this week Ashley Amber, a singer-songwriter who's burning up the country music scene right now. She has some new music out, and she's traveled quite a journey to get to where she is today. Ashley, welcome into Fast Line Fast Track.
9: Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure.
1: Hey, how have you been?
9: I've been really good, you know, just keeping busy. You know, we've had to do a lot of adjustments during this COVID Uh, so just keeping busy, doing lots of live streams and writing and, you know, just staying happy and get to hang out with this guy today. My guitarist, Andrew Diesner. So, uh, yeah, we're happy to be here.
1: Well, I tell you what, you've been on a media blitz here lately, supporting this new single. What's that been like with the state of the world right now? And, uh, uh, you know, limited opportunities to go out and actually support some of this music.
9: You know, I've, I've had to learn a lot because, I think a lot of times artists don't focus as much on the social media, cause we're so used to performing and for of live audiences and busy and traveling. And that's how I was. I was traveling all over the world. So it's actually, it's been nice to, to have to, you know force myself online and really focus on online marketing and running campaigns and teaming up with amazing companies like grassroots is a company that I'm teamed up with right now out of Nashville um to help do a lot of online promotion and stuff like that and it's going really really well so i'm really excited it's it's awesome <laughs>
1: actually, you just dropped a uh, a lyric video here a few days ago for for the the new song
9: i did um it's really fun you guys definitely check it out because uh i have my own little character and uh she's got the boxing gloves on and uh she's <laughs> she's really cute and it's uh really fun my animator joe i did a fantastic job i told him i was like hey I know this sounds crazy, but this is what I want. Can you do it? And he's like, yeah, sure. And he's only been animating for a couple months,
1: uh, wow. which
9: is amazing. He did such a fantastic job. Yeah. Well,
1: he knocked it out of the park for the first time out.
9: Yeah, definitely. Absolutely, he did.
1: And we should mention you're coming to us tonight from your home in Las Vegas. Uh, yeah, I time am. Between there and Nashville. And behind you is uh, a high school friend of yours who is also out there in the area now, Andrew Diesner. Yes, Andrew, yes, Welcome. Yes. Uh, Both the uh, pride of Horizon High School in Thornton, Colorado, out there doing big things in Las Vegas now. Absolutely.
9: It's been amazing, and it's so cool to be able to. I mean, we've literally known each other for over half of our lives. Like, Uh, not going to say how old we are. Um, <laughs> I think I've already aged ourselves right there, but yeah, we've literally known each other for older, over half of our lives. Um, I was a freshman and Andrew was a sophomore when I met him. So yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. And we're both still doing what we love, which is awesome. So
1: we mentioned earlier, you're from Thornton, Colorado, just outside of Denver Horizon High School, and you're one of four children, including a twin brother. Tell me about growing up there and tell me about when you became interested in country music.
9: Yeah, so um, so growing up in the suburbs was definitely a, a little bit different. I'm I'm very fortunate. So my dad is from Southern um, California, from San Bernardino, and uh, he just didn't want us. He didn't want his kids to to grow up there. He just wanted his kids to grow up in a place where we'd have more opportunities. Um, so he actually there's no there's no family in Colorado. He just decided my older brother and sister were born in Colorado uh, in California and moved them and then a couple of years later um jeremy and i you know came into the picture and uh yeah so it's it very interesting because, you know it's thornton colorado is not known for its diversity <laughs> especially where we grew up so um we were like we were the only black family in our in our group and you know not a lot of diversity in high school so i'm actually really thankful for that because All of my family, like when I would go visit California and stuff like that, like everybody's, you know, my dad's side, it's it's, it's all black. So I got the best of both worlds. So I got to see, I got to experience all of my black culture. And then, you know, I got to experience this amazing culture, like in the suburbs of, you know, Colorado. And so that's actually when I... Started listening to country music so we grew up listening to like spinners and earth wind and fire and like my parents loved earth, wind, and fire they have been to red rock so many times to see them um my parents definitely knew how to get have a good time and uh it's one of my dreams to perform at red rocks the amphitheater out there um because it'd be like a cool homecoming uh, I'm just putting that in the universe oh, um yeah. but yeah. everybody yeah. Yeah, definitely. So once I was old enough and started hanging out with like kids my age and, you know, everybody started listening to music and things like that, that's when I discovered country. And so everybody listened to, you know, country and top 40. So I grew up listening to, you know, Faith Hill and, you know, Shania Twain and Tim McGraw and, and Garth Brooks and, uh, you know, Jody Messina, uh, Leanne Rimes. Leanne Rhymes is actually one of my favorites. So I grew up on a lot of that late 90s, um, early 2000s. Uh, country. And Mm -hmm. so I just fell in love with it. And then I also listened to top 40 like I am um, an equal opportunity employer when it comes to music, I think you can find really great songs in all genres that includes like metal rock, you know, alternative jazz classical like good music is just good music. So I'm was very fortunate to grow up in a household that welcomed all different styles of music.
1: So when was it that you actually started singing?
9: So I started singing when I was six. I was, uh, I was in the car with my mom and dad, and we were, I think we were going to the grocery store, but I was in the back seat, of course, and, you know, they were in the front, and the radio's on, and um, it was, like, at the time, it's one of my favorite songs. It was, like, it was a 90 R&- R&B song, and it was, like, uh, Hey, Mr. DJ, we can get this started. Everybody's ready to party on that all night. <laughs> so you can yeah. just imagine like a little six-year-old me like singing in the background to that. <laughs> and my dad, he actually like turned on the radio because I was just singing at the top of my lungs like much louder than what I just did. And he turned the radio off and I just like kept singing along because I was in my own world. And like, you know, like 30 seconds or so he turned the radio back on and I was just I was in the same place as a song and in the same key. And so he looked in the rearview mirror and he was like, did you know you sing? And I was like, mm-hmm. And uh, you literally could not shut me up, shut me up after that, I was singing everything. And then I remember getting my first Walkman with the, you know, the tape and those terrible like, wire headphones, you know what I'm talking about, (laughs) terrible. And I would just listen to music and sing at the top of my lungs. And of course, I couldn't hear myself because I had the music in my ears. So I would just drive my family crazy. Yeah. they're not angry anymore though <laughs> they support now
1: <laughs> and i understand it was not long after that that you actually lost your father and um, music became an outlet for you to uh to, to kind of uh, uh cope and uh and move on in your life
9: yeah so um you know life always throws you curveballs and uh when i was 11 my dad got really really sick and um it was really unexpected um he was perfectly healthy he was like he's like a denzel washington very handsome um with beautiful smile just a beautiful person and um he got sick a couple of days before he um before it happened and uh he got sick and um just out of nowhere and then he was in the hospital for about 11 months and then um so that was a really hard time for the family and you know my brother and i were young like we were just becoming you know you know turning 12 and becoming teenagers we're in middle school middle school is a really cruel time so i just um I was I was really into sports and uh, my dad coached us. so I just um, I could I just couldn't play him anymore because uh, he wasn't there. So that's like I just started singing music. And, and, and one of the artists who really got me through that was Whitney Houston. and anybody who knows me <laughs> knows that I'm a huge, huge Whitney Houston fan. And so her music is just so positive and um, always just fun. And so I would just sing her at the top of my lungs, just in my rooms. I'd lock myself in there for
3: hours and just sing.
1: So you had a, a well-rounded childhood with sports and music and and also uh, getting into to choir and theater. So it seems like you came away with that whole experience with a lot of confidence. It's helped you do big things today.
9: Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's a lot different because I feel like probably most country singers you talk to probably don't have a... Background in musical theater, yeah. it's a uh, it's not traditional, um, which is why I mentioned earlier how my um, journey has been a bit traditional, a bit untraditional. But you know, just like you said, it, it taught me. Um, it's one thing to be able to sing, but it's another thing to be able to perform, and yeah. that's why, like the iconic, like Garth Brooks, like he's yeah. a prime example. I mean, gosh, he's won Entertainer of the Year for like seven years in a row because he's incredible. And yeah. he just knows how to work a crowd. He he knows exactly what he's doing. And the same thing with Dolly, like Dolly Parton. What I love about her is she's so good at reading the crowd. Like she can she can see like whether the crowd's like all the way on her journey or not. And she can kind of adjust on the fly. And that's another reason why Dolly is just so incredible. Among many things, obviously her songwriting is just so good. She's like she's a freak of nature, like with her songwriting, yeah. and um. But yeah, so I just um I took all of that instead of taking it negative. I honestly I needed to make money. And I was signed to an independent label out of high school and it just wasn't going well. They wanted me to sing all this they wanted me to do R&B and hip hop and it's just it's just not the kind type of music that I wanted to sing. Like it's just that's not my voice, it's not it's not me. I know I may look like more of that type of an artist but that doesn't mean that my look gets to define you know the type of artist that I am and so I was doing that and I was just really unhappy and then I met one of my really good friends who was like like you have a gift like you should you should do musical theater like I think it I think you would do really well there and because the fact that you're untrained and you're just such a natural like it's actually really going to serve you and it did so I ended up getting a ton of work and just working and and musical theaters evolve so much like people think musical theater and like oh yeah hands, like hey <laughs> and it is parts of it are like that but a lot of it is very pop and it's a lot of crossover and so I really have to learn how to tell a story and how to command a stage and just get lost in the character because Sometimes we're so caught up in, are we going to hit the right note? Are we going to do this? That you forget. like You're just there to perform, and people just want an escape. Like That's what music is at the end of the day. It unites us, and it allows people to have an escape from whatever the troubles that they might be going through in their life. So I learned that through musical theater.
1: You got to pull down some lead roles in uh, some pretty big musicals, The Color Purple, Avenue Q, Pippin, and Rent, among others.
9: Yes. Yeah. I got really lucky. Like Again, Colorado is not known for its diversity. So when I kind of came on the scene, they they were doing these shows that did call for, you know, some diversity. So I got really lucky. I kind of hit it at the same time. And then it allowed me, you know, to travel to DC and do some shows out there. And of course audition in New York. And I got my equity card because I was doing all these amazing uh, performances at these top notch theaters and got to work with, you know, Broadway people, just all kinds of amazing people. So it was just it was a really, really good experience. Like I definitely love that part of my 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 journey
1: of all those roles what was your favorite
9: oh that's so hard um i would actually say um avenue q i played gary coleman
7: yeah (laughs) yeah
9: and um it's it's traditionally played by uh, a black female and uh-huh. so it, it was fun, but I like I had like cornrows like completely, and I got to wear like an oversized hat, and I had like baggy jeans and like baggy shirts, and I got to wear like you know like the the lugs, and like I looked, I kind of made him super hood, like he was he, he was he was kind of a hood Gary Coleman. So it was uh-huh. it was a lot of fun. It was definitely the most fun. Had. yeah. <laughs>
1: that's, a, that's a fun show. I, I really enjoyed that one.
9: Yeah, it's definitely good. Lots of great messages and it just, you know, kind of takes the piss out of things. So it's it's really great.
1: <laughs> so you also found yourself getting some airtime on American Idol in 2012 as well. What did you take away from that experience?
9: I did. Um, American Idol was, uh, it was a crazy experience. And You know, fun little behind the scenes about that. I actually auditioned for the show 10 times wow. before I made it on to the season in 2012. So what I really learned from that experience was, to not give up, that persistence is key, and taking constructive criti- criticism and and turning it into a positive, and and just learning how to be better. So every time I would go, they'd be like, "Oh, oh, you have a really good voice, but like you're too young." So then I waited a couple years, and then I went back, and they're like, "Oh, like you have a really good voice, but it's a bit too nasally. Like work on that and come back. And then I came back, and then I actually didn't make it that time, and so I was like, "Ah, oh, man." But then I went back again, and that was the time I didn't want to go back. I didn't even want to audition. And my friend was like, "Ah, oh, they're here, and you know, Cal, they're here in you know Denver. You gotta go." And so I went, and I just decided to be myself. And uh, and that was, you know, the time that I got to make it the furthest, and you know, got to fly to, you know, Hollywood, and got to meet Jennifer Lopez and Steven Tyler and Mandy Jackson, and I got to meet some friends that are were all on that season that are actually still performing today. Like one of my friends, he's now the casting director for American Idol. And my other friend, she's one of the top soul singers out right now. And my other friend, he's was, uh, you know, Hamilton in Hamilton. So like, it's just really cool to see our journeys and, and for all of us to, you know, still be connected all the way back in 2012. Because actually we met would have been 2011 because the process oh. starts so early before it actually airs. So it was was a really cool process it taught me to never give up and just to keep like moving forward
1: as far as being a vocalist goes and and being an entertainer how how do you feel like you've evolved since that experience now we're talking about eight years
9: yeah i've evolved a lot like i've i'm unapologetically me now so i think like when you're a young artist and you're just kind of trying to discover yourself and i think all of us like we can agree with this like you're just you're, you're you're really trying to fit in because you don't quite know like exactly the type of mark that you're trying to leave behind. And so I think with the whole American Idol thing, I was just trying so hard to fit in, to like fit the mold that they wanted. When I realized that like who cares? You know, and American Idol is a great show like it has I mean so many things. Look at Gabby Barrett, look at you know Carrie Underwood, look at Kelly Pickler, look at you know you have Chris Daughtry of, you, you know, um Kelly Clarkson. Gosh, I love me some Kelly Clarkson. And, like, so many amazing people came from that show. So it's a it's a fantastic thing. But it's also, like, if you don't make it, I think the biggest te- takeaway from it is, like, you know what? Less than 1% make it past, like, the cattle call rounds. So yeah. if you get to step in front of those judges and make it to Hollywood, like, it's usually the elite of the elite that have auditioned that year. So it's it's – I took it as like, you know what, in order for me to make it that far, I must have something going on. And then no. I just continued to build who I was an artist throughout that time. And, and that's, what's led me here today is, 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 is all of that. All of that, a part of my journey is exactly why I'm standing, sitting here in front of you. <laughs> so I
1: also wanted to get into talking a bit about your passion project, uh, which is called, I will always love you, which is a tribute to Whitney Houston. How did that come about?
9: Um, so, um, I will always love you is a, um, celebration show that I do to Whitney Houston. And I am not, I am not her. I am a hundred percent myself just celebrating her incredible, incredible music and sharing her story. And then I also incorporate my story as well, since she did get me through such a hard time in my life. So it's a very personal, it's a very great journey. And, um, I've just always loved her. And what happened was, is again, like I said, my journey, you know of music has been a little bit different than you know a lot of people who've been in nashville and you know been the songwriting all those songwriting events and like playing in all these great venues there um mine took me all over the world um and so what happened was i was doing musical theater and um i met these girls Who had like done cruise ships for a long time and i know that sounds crazy you're like what you worked on a cruise ship and i'm like yeah i did i worked on a cruise ship they were like oh it's so great they would love you and so i was like well what do i need to do and they're like oh just you know send in a tape of you singing they'll hire you right away and so that's what i did i sent in a tape like not a tape but like a a youtube video of a couple songs and sure enough they responded immediately and they're like hey can you sing these callback songs and then I sang callback songs and literally within minutes I had an offer for my first cruise ship. And I actually remember messaging this guy like, because he had done one and I was like, hey, what's like ship life like? And he's like, oh, it's cool. You travel the world and you get these full on productions and, you know, they pays really, really well. And we all know as artists, we want to get paid and we want to eat. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I did it. And uh, ships are very like more pop. Based it's, it's not musical theater. It's still very presentational, they're full on shows, but it's definitely much more pop. So I definitely fit in really well. And um, yeah, so I was just on board as a cast member actually. And I kept seeing all these guest entertainers, that's what they're called, these headliners fly in. And they would fly in for like, you know, like one or two days, couple days days would do their one show and literally nothing else. And I was like, well, I want that job. <laughs> and, and so I did a little bit of research, asked some questions. I found out how much they made. And I was like, man, I'm in the wrong line of work. And so I, um, I asked some people and they were like, yeah, well, you've got to put a show together. you got to have an agent and it's got to be good. And I'm like, good luck because you're a cast member, like nobody's going to take you seriously. And I was like, okay, challenge accepted. And so I started putting together my show And so, I mean, initially I put this show together because it was always from love. I wanted to share her story, my story. But like what inspired it was I was like, oh, well, I want to make more money and do less work and travel the world. (laughs) So that's initially kind of what happened. But then I put the show together and I started performing it and it just got this crazy response than I could have ever imagined, like just ever. Like Whitney's music is so powerful and it's literally the soundtrack of people's lives like yeah. people are like oh I remember when I bought my first apartment and I was listening to the song like it was on repeat and people be like yeah I broke up with my boyfriend I bought this cd and she got me through this time and just so many amazing stories of people who actually got to see her perform live like when she was in her prime and um and just a lot of people because my, sto- my show is about just not giving up and and not letting people tell you what you can and can't do. And so there's this really beautiful message behind it. And then all of a sudden, it took me two and a half years. It didn't happen overnight. It took me two and a half years of being persistent And then finally I was able to sign with the number one agency for headline entertainment, which is Don Casino entertainment, huge shout out to them. They've been amazing to me. So Don Casino entertainment. And then all of a sudden within a short amount of time, you know, I became, you know, one of the top female headlining acts. And uh, it was just, it was unbelievable. It's what I wanted, but you know, when it happens, you're like, is this really happening? Like, is this sure that's happening to me? And so um, yeah, it's, it's, it, then it became just a huge part of my life and I did it for um, all until COVID I was I was still I was doing my country project but I was still going out and, and performing my show and I would go out for a couple of days and, and you know come back so it was just an incredible journey and I've traveled to over 70 different countries performing in front of about a hundred thousand people a year and these big multi-million dollar venues with audiences of thousands of people every time you perform so like it was incredible and there's no better way to learn how to like work a crowd than to have an international crowd because not everybody speaks english so like they speak it but it's not their first language so it's really really hard to like get an audience on your side especially because they're not paying there to see you so we're going to see carrie underwood like People are paying, you know, hundreds of dollars to go see Carrie Underwood. So, like, they're there for the journey. But when you're going on these ships, like, you're getting paid this, you know, this great salary. Um, But, like, they're not there to see you. They're, it's just part of their cruise, you know. So, it makes it even harder. So, I learned so much in that, like, two and a half, three years of headlining my own show because it's just me it's me. I'm the only singer. I'm the only person on stage. And then I, I back, I have the band that backs me up. So I had to learn how to communicate with a band. I had to learn like terminology that I didn't even know. Like I had to learn my charts inside and out because I have to run the rehearsal and I have to tell the band what to do. I had to learn things on sound like, Hey, I need this. I need this. I need this. Like it was literally the best experience I could have ever had because now moving forward,
5: I'm
9: like, I'm not worried. Like, put me on the CMAs, you know, in November, like I'm ready to go (laughs) because I'm so used to performing under a lot of pressure with no sleep, like 36 hours traveling, no sleep. So again, it was just a really, really great, great experience. And I really got to hone my craft and become, you know, you know, that powerhouse, you know, that you have to be when you're on stage.
1: Well, if anybody from the CMAs happens to be listening, there you go.
9: Let's do it. (laughs) That
1: that would be a lot of fun to watch.
9: Yeah, it's so exciting. It's gonna happen. I it's gonna happen. I'm really really excited for all the things going on right now.
1: Well, I tell you what. Along the way, you caught the attention of Jamie Tate, who's a Grammy and Emmy award winning recording engineer and mixer. You know, he's worked with the likes of Alan Jackson, Brooks and Dunn, Marty Stewart, more recently uh, Justin Moore and Thomas Redd at the legendary Ruckus Room there in Nashville. And he was the one that encouraged you to uh, uh, try out uh, your chops in the country music genre.
9: Yeah, like he, man, I can't tell you, like I got so lucky with Don and Don made one phone call because he knew that Jamie was the guy. Like he knew that Jamie was a guy and Jamie stalked me a little bit on social media. And then he told Don, he's like, I want to meet her. And so I flew to Nashville for one day that's it. That's all I had in my schedule. Was one day I flew into Nashville the night before we met with him. And what I thought was going to be like, I don't know, like a, like a 20, 30 minute meeting ended up turning into like all afternoon. <laughs> and we talked about music, but we, we just talked about everything else. And like, we just talked about all kinds of things. It's like, it was instant friends. And, you know, when he was like, I want to work with you, I was just like, is this happening <laughs> like you've worked with everybody like everybody who I look up to in country music you've literally worked with them they have recorded here you know them and and here he he wants to be a part of this project because this project it's about the music i i'm not here to sit here and be like you guys listen to me because i'm different and you know there needs to be more diversity in country music yes there does we all know that like if you just look at it, statistically, it is. I want people to look at me because I'm a good artist and I have good music and I have a good personality and I'm great on stage and I'm kind to my fans and kind to my people. That's why I want people to listen to my music and to follow me. Like, that's what I stand for. And I'm just here doing a genre music that I love. And I know it sounds crazy because people always ask me, they're like, why country? And I was like, well, I always wanted to be the Beyonce of country. Like, why not? Yeah. and um also like why not country country they you know not all of them from that pro country got a little bit away of using live musicians but a lot of country uses a lot of live instruments still which is so different than the pop world like a lot of that is all like just produced on like programs and stuff like that and what i loved about jamie is like everything you hear is live like yeah. we use live musicians in the studio and if there's added percussions and stuff like that. That's Jamie. That's Jamie going in after and post-production and adding like all these like cool things to make these songs, you know, unique. And, you know, we just got done recording four songs of my own um, that I 100% wrote myself. And like, what he did to them, I'll, I cannot wait for you guys to hear it. Like I am, I'm so excited. I'm a new writer. Um, I, I honestly... It wasn't on the radar. So when we got all these new songs, we got them pitched to us because Don Gatlin, my manager, he knows everybody. So he called in all kinds of favors. He's good friends with Billy Montana. He's good friends with Woody, with Green Hills Publishing. He's good friends with Dan Hodgins of Dan Hodgins, you know, Publishing. And like, they were so kind to send us, you know, these songs. And, you know, we cut them. And then because of this pandemic, I was bored. And actually somebody said something to me in Nashville and it just, it kind of, Made me mad. But instead of like being like, oh, you know, whatever, I was like, okay, cool, fine. I'll write my own music, done. And I wrote 14 songs in 14 days. And then, uh, and still writing, uh, not as frequently, but anytime I get the urge to write, I write. Like I just wrote a song last night. And, um, and yeah, and and now Jamie's, you know, he's so proud and so impressed that we're bringing those songs to life. And uh, it's just really cool to have somebody of that, you know, status and that knowledgeable and that talented to be like, no, like this, like what you're doing is, this is it. Like we've created a new sound and it's yours. And so yeah. it's, it's, it's just an incredible, incredible experience. Yeah, I have so much respect for him.
1: So tell me about Ashley Amber, the writer, you know, uh, you got to uh, work from a different side of the brain on that. And I know you've got a lot of experiences to draw from. What's that been like?
9: Um, it's been really fun. So I think because I don't have a filter and I've never taken a writing class, and I've never told me I never had anybody tell me what you can and can't do in writing. I just I literally write what I feel like. I, I do a lot of pop culture references and you know like i have a song that's going to be coming out it's going to be my next single and you know i reference like facebook and tinder you know in the song um because it's relatable and i just talk about things in my life and the things that i'm going through and they're just really fun like it's kind of like a throwback to um my early influences which was faith hill and shania twain and you know the chicks and you know um all these groups back then that were just really fun. They had really fun music, right? And um, it's kind of going back to that, I don't really write breakup songs. Um, I think I have, I think maybe the song I wrote last night might be considered a breakup song, but it's not really a breakup song. So like all my stuff is really positive and it's just really fun and I'll, I'll take situations and instead of turning it into the negative, I kind of spin it into the positive of like, maybe what the fantasy might be of if that happens, you know? So that that's kind of how my writing is. And then I have some real stuff too, where like I am super honest about my feelings and some of the things that are going on in the world and stuff like that. And I have those moments as well, um, which will definitely be put on the album or on the EP, you know, for the fans, so they can really get to know more and more about me. Um, but yeah, I, I typically write a song, if if I'm writing, I'll finish it, you know, within a couple hours, um, like from top to bottom and even record the demo um, within that time. So it it happens pretty fast. Because again, I just kind of just, whatever comes out, comes out. And it's, yeah. it's, it's just, it's so much fun. And, you know, I just got four songs back that we just recorded. And uh, to hear them, I'm just like, man, that's me. Like, I wrote that. Like, this is really, really cool. So... I'm just really proud to be able to um bring another aspect into my artistry as a as a performer and as a vocalist and now to, to get to add songwriter onto that and to be really proud and you know for Jamie to n- literally have been a part of multiple multiple number one hits to be like this is without a question a number one hit it just like it's unbelievable. I'm just enjoying the moment and just enjoying the ride and just having fun with no filters and just, just riding what I feel.
1: So when might we expect an EP or even a full length album from you?
9: So, um, we're definitely going to do an EP next year and, uh, we, we actually have all the music ready for it, but we are, um, I can't say who we're talking to, but We are talking to some really, really amazing people right now. So we are waiting for that kind of stuff to be finalized. And then once that happens, then, um, you know, then the new EP will be released and stuff like that. I'm still going to release another single before the end of the year, just to keep the momentum and, you know, keep building fans and keeping the fans interested and stuff like that. And it will be a song that I 100% wrote myself. Um, So I'm really, really excited for that and uh yeah but we have a ton of music we have content for days so uh, we are really really excited and who knows we'll release the ep and the ep goes so well Then we might come back release some more songs and repackage it as a debut album um you know there's so many options nowadays but we're really focusing on a lot of singles so we want songs that people are gonna love and that are singles um so uh you know, who knows? Maybe we'll have an EP that all goes number one. I mean, who knows? Anything can happen, right? And I'm just putting that in the universe.
1: So what are some of your goals for this next season of your career?
9: Yeah, um, my next, my goals are to, you know, officially, you know, be signed um, to, to a major label. And I, I know there's so many routes, like you can go independent and you go things like that, but I'm really ambitious. So I I want it all.
3: <laughs> yeah.
9: You know, with some of the people that we're talking to, you know, it's, definitely a possibility and um i i want to be able to release my first ep release my you know first single under the label and you know i just want to be i want to be embraced you know within the country community as you know just somebody who just loves good music like country music tells stories and again like i said they use live instruments and i think that's why i love it so much and why i always fell in love with it which also explains why i did musical theater because they're actually very similar they're, they're all about stories, very literal, a lot of things you can relate to. And so that's what I love so much about country music. And um, of course, you know, I wanna be on the CMAs, I wanna be on the ACMs. like I wanna be on, you know, CNT, you know, fest, like I, I wanna do all of those things, like no sky's the limit. And, you know, I'm also an actress, so I wanna cross over into, you know, film and endorsements and things like that. And I'm here for country. Like, I'm not going anywhere. Like, I'm not just coming into country so I can, like, maybe, like, go, like, cross over into some other market. Like, I'm here to stay. Like, I'm not going anywhere. Like, this train is going. So um, I'm really, really excited for all of the amazing things. And, of course, I would love to do, like, some crossovers and collaborations and things like that. And I have some really cool people in mind that I would love, you know, one day to be able to do something with. And, and yeah, but, like, honestly, sky's the limit. I mean... I'm a person that's like, why not? Like, somebody's gotta do it, right? Yeah. So, you know, why not me?
1: Who are some of those people you wanna work with? Let's put that out there too. Let's get that ball rolling. <laughs>
9: uh, well, I would really, I know this sounds crazy, but I am just obsessed with this woman. And I also just watched a bunch of documentaries on her too. Uh, Cause I just think she's so incredible. And I know she's, she's older, but I, how cool would it be if Dolly Parton and me, yeah. this girl with this giant mohawk like did a collaboration together like i'm sorry yeah. that would be pretty awesome and then as far as some of like the current artists like i would love to do something like i'm a huge kelsey bellarini fan i'm a huge Marin morris fan i love carly pierce like i love all these girls um lindsay l and then you have Danielle towns like some of these girls are amazing i would love like any one of them like Girls, call me, like please. <laughs> like, yeah. I would love to do a with them. And there's a couple guys that I would love to do. Like, I'm actually a huge Sam Hunt fan. Um you know, I really like that he incorporates a lot of R&B and hip hop into his music. I, I just think it's, you know, it's really cool. He can get away with it a little bit more because, you know, he's a guy. But that's something that I kind of want to change too. Like, why do the guys get to have like all these like cool, like a little bit more swag beats? Like, why can't the girls have them? So I'm really excited because some of my stuff definitely has some swag in it too, which is, which is really cool. But it's still country. You know, I'm not, again, like, um, I'm definitely here to change the industry, but I'm not here to like, you know, be disrespectful to the industry as well. Does that, if that makes any sense? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, but yeah, some of those people, and I'm I'm a huge, huge, huge Kane Brown fan, like huge Kane Brown fan. I love him. I love his voice. I've heard him do a bunch of live stuff and I just think he's, I think hes he always sounds great. His fans love him. And I like how he uses his platform. He comes out with these really great songs that are relatable for everybody. But then he still has songs that are message-driven songs. he He's very strategic about how he does things. And I think that's really important because at the end of the day, as an artist, and especially as an artist who is of color, the last thing you want to do is alienate your audience because I'm here to perform for everybody. And I'm here to use my platform in the best way possible and be strategic and of course i have some opinions about things and i you know there are some things that need to be changed but you know it starts with just creating great music that everybody can relate to and getting that number one single first and maybe and then getting that second one and then once you start building those fans and do that then you can really use your voice in the right way and and to really inspire and to you know open up conversations and things like that so that's what I'm really really excited for is the most is to be able to you know be part of that change and it's not just me you have Mickey Mickey Guyton who is who's totally leading that voice right now and she's on the front line for diversity for women she's the only one you know yeah. right now and she can't do it alone it's going to take a lot of us to win and to be successful in order for people to see that it doesn't matter good music is good music and yeah. and that's all i'm here to say is good music is good music
1: and you make some great music and uh, the new single fight with you is out now and climbing the charts tell us about the inspiration behind this song
9: Yeah, so this song is about a this is about like a ride or die. And it couldn't be more perfect for COVID right now. Because there's a lot of people that have had to spend a lot of time together, that weren't expecting to spend time together. And I'm sure there's been a lot of arguments and a lot of discussions. And so this song is about like, at the end of the day, no matter what, like, I don't only want to be with you, I choose to be with you regardless. And so it's this really cool message instead of being like, hey, we're fighting, we're doing this and blah, 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 which is, you know, people fight. But at the end of the day, there's nobody else I'd rather fight with than you. And so that's what the song is about. And it's just a great message. And I just loved it.
1: Well, before we go any further, let's hear the new one from Ashley Amber. This is Fight With You on Fast Line Fast Track.
7: Baby, you don't got to worry, last night our lights got blurry, but I still slept in your jersey, and your lips show me mercy, broken glass on the floorboard, Dump your shirts at the top drawer. show can see the first loving moment
1: Sounds like a number one to me.
9: Oh. Ah, yes. I know. I love this song. Ah, oh, such a great song. Yeah. Great. <laughs> so thank great you. Stuff. That's really sweet of you.
1: Well, folks want to know more about Ashley Amber. Where can they go to follow your career and download your music, purchase merch, or anything else they want to do?
9: Yeah, absolutely. You guys can find at ashleyamber.com. Just remember, Ashley is spelled different. Ashley is A-S-H-L-I-E Amber dot com and you can also find me all over social media on facebook instagram and tiktok at ashley amber official again that's a-s-h-l-i-e amber official and then you can find me on tiktok and youtube at ashley amber and again a-s-h-l-i-e amber and then of course I'm on spotify i'm on apple music i'm on um title any major streaming digital platform i am on it just type in my name, Ashley Amber, A-S-H-L-I-E Amber, and you will find me. Just look for the hair.
1: Ashley, thank you so much for taking the time to come in and join us here on Fastline Fast Track. And I sure hope you'll come back again when you've got more music to share. You just want to hang out.
9: Yeah, I would love to. You've been amazing. You're so sweet. And God blast. And again, you guys. This is my guitarist, um, Andrew Diesner. You can find him at andrewjohndiesner.com as well as he's on Facebook, Instagram at Andrew Diesner. So definitely, definitely give him a follow as well. And if you just look at my people who I'm following, you can find him. So um, definitely please do that and support both of us because he is doing some incredible things as well. So thank you guys so much. You guys are awesome. You have been awesome. And uh, I love this setup. And I would love, love, love to come back.
1: Well, thank you all for joining us this week, and we also want to say a special shout-out to our musical sponsor, the Ernest Tubb Record Shop 417 Broadway in the heart of downtown Nashville, Tennessee. I hope that when you're in the Nashville area, you'll go and check them out. They have a great selection of vinyl, CDs, and merchandise, and if they don't have it, I know they'll find it for you. They're open Sunday to Thursday, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m., and Fridays and Saturdays, 10 a.m. to 10 p.m., so when they're open, stop by and say hi and tell them you heard it here on Fast Line Fast Track. I also want to say a special shout-out to our friends at farm life and thank them for their support of fast line fast track please go over and give them a like on their facebook page so you can connect with others interested in agriculture and join me over on their page every wednesday at 8 p.m eastern as i join my buddy brandon deal to talk about the things that are on farmers minds and speaking of things on farmers minds hey the tax man is coming do you have equipment to buy Now's the time to get those Section 179 purchases in before the end of the year. So head on over to FastLine.com and check out the equipment locator with the price comparison tool featuring the Iron Average powered by Iron Solutions. Again, that's FastLine.com. And while you're there on the website, be sure to sign up for the print catalog for your state or region. No need to head into town to pick one up off the convenience store rack. The Fastline catalog is still being delivered directly to your mailbox, and it's still a favorite resource of farmers and ranchers across our great country. And remember to subscribe to the Fastline Fast Track podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Deezer, Audible, and Radio.com. Also, be sure to hit us up on all the socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Well, it's time for us to get on out of here. So until next time, it's Brent Adams saying, y'all come back. And bring along a friend. You've been listening to Fastline Fast Track, presented by Fastline Media Group. To learn more about Fastline's customer focused marketing solutions, visit fastlinemediagroup.com and check out our brand websites fastline.com, bigag.com, and pinktractor.com. If you have topic suggestions for future podcasts, drop us a line at brent.adams at fastline.com.